I want to start a series with you today, a brand new series, uh, on the topic of discipleship. Um, I just felt strongly for the last few months that this is a topic I want to talk about and bring to your attention and just lay a real foundation down in the life of our church uh, and in our thinking about God's master plan, God's master plan. You know, the Christian movement, the Christian experience began with these two words where Jesus said, follow me. Two words launched the Christian church and those two words are being proclaimed and declared to this, to this moment in time, to this generation. Now, when Facebook, now called Meta, and Instagram, and companies like that use that word, they choose that word, that phrase, follow me, right? They're actually drawing upon a uniquely Judeo-Christian idea, and our Western world is rooted in this concept. It, it would not make any sense except for these words are spoken by this person in this time, and it still has power today. Those words that Jesus spoke then are still having power in our life today. One of the questions we've got to ask ourselves is, who is it that we are following? Where are they taking our life? What kind of person will we become in their company? And how will our eternity be affected by the people we put ourselves into proximity with? They're powerful, powerful questions. And I just want to allow you as a church, and those of you that are watching us from wherever you are today in Australia and across the nations, to really think about who it is that your life is following. Because we're all following somebody. We're all following somebody. And Jesus stands at the intersection of our lives as he stood at the intersection of history and lifted up his voice and he said, with these words, follow me. I want to take you back to the Garden of Eden as we just lay a little bit of background to this idea of a God who longs for relationship and intimacy. And so we go back to the creation poem. Yes, it is a, it's in a poetry prose style. Does it mean it's not true? No. Poems can be true. And so even though Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is written in a poetry style, there's great truth and there's the truth there for us in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we read, it's on the screen for us now, that God comes in the cool of the evening to mix with and converse with, dwell with, and, and, and habit with Adam and Eve. That's God's heart. Not to just create us as cosmic orphans and just throw us out into the cosmos and just make the best of it, but that God comes into our story because he wants to walk with us. So taking notes this morning, you might want to write that down. God wants to walk with me. Well, as I drive uh, to work most days or, or through Atherton early in the mornings, I expect you see it as well. You'll often see people walking the streets of Atherton. Who's up that early? Who's never, never seen a person walking? <laughs> and you often see they don't walk alone. They walk together with somebody else because part of that whole experience is not just the walking, it's the talking right and so this is God's heart he's revealing to us that God wants to come and walk with us and he wants to journey with us that's a good word to write down so let me come forward a, a few thousand years several hundred years at least and we, we come to the the prophet Ezekiel who doesn't get much mentioned these days but I wanted to mention him today and so Ezekiel begins it's a time of apostasy it's a time where 
the people of God are shrinking back from God. Judgment is coming. The, the kings of the north are, are, are rising up in authority. Jerusalem is about to be destroyed. And Ezekiel is making this declaration. And this is the thing. God always speaks hope into the midst of our darkest moments. If you're feeling like things are dark right now, things are difficult right now, that things don't look very well, I want to tell you that God's always speaking hope into the midst of that circumstance. And this is what Ezekiel said. He said, you know your problem, people. I like the way the prophets talk. You know your problem, people. It's that you've got a stony heart, a hard heart. Just look straight ahead and no one will know that I'm preaching at you. But this is the promise that God makes, right? He says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. Where is it going to go? Within, within. I'm going to take out the heart of stone. And I'm going to give to you a heart of flesh. I'm going to take um, of my spirit and I'll put it within you and I'll cause you to walk in a new way. So that you'll walk in alignment with my will and my wisdom for your life, my statutes and my judgments. Now, Ezekiel foresaw a time where God's law would not be written on the outside tablets of stone, but that God's word would come and actually live within us, right? And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I am, I am the living word, right? I'm the word. Like John said, in the beginning was the logos, the word of God. It was there at the start and, and it's here right now. And this is this Jesus, this first century rabbi who reveals himself as more than Messiah, as more than promised one, but reveals himself to be the very son of God. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God incarnated into human form and reveals to us his heart. And so we come to learn about the strategic example of our rabbi Jesus. See, Beginning of Jesus' life, there's some small mentions and things start to happen. But, but Jesus' life goes on public display with a baptismal service, kind of like what we're going to have today. And the Holy Spirit comes down and those that observed said, well, it sort of looked like the, the best way we could kind of describe it was like this, this dove sort of came down on him. It, it wasn't a dove like you see in the, the videos, right? But it was, we were trying to find a way to describe what we saw. It was something came and hovered on him and, and, and there he was and, and he went out of the Jordan and the first thing he does after he comes out of baptism is he goes to the wilderness to a place of, to a place of, to a place of, oh God, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't we skip that part? Couldn't we skip that part? Couldn't you just take us straight to the promise? Couldn't you take us straight to the blessing? No, no, no. If you've got something within you, it's going to get tested. Because when God starts to put a new anointing on your life, the enemy hates it. Before you start to move into a new season, the enemy will throw everything he can at you to try to knock you off your attention and off your agenda and off God's purpose for your life. I'm speaking to somebody today. So we come to this scripture after Jesus comes out of the wilderness. The Bible says that he goes into the wilderness in the fullness of the Spirit. Someone say fullness. And then he comes out of, the, out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. So sometimes you've got to go through the test in order to get the approval process to be able to operate. You know the ticket you get when you operate a machine, guys? 
You know, you've got to go through the training process, then you get certified, and then you get, you know, you get recognized that, yeah, you're qualified to do that. And God's always leading us on to victory. I like what you said this morning, Adam, that God's always leading us out into triumph, into a victorious procession of victory and, and, uh, and, 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 and winning. But then the, one of the first things Jesus does after he comes out of the wilderness is, is this, is this verse. And it's in three different of some um, biographies of Jesus, the, 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 uh, the, the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin to speak about this moment in Jesus' life. And it's one of the very first things that he does after coming out of that victorious encounter with the devil. He starts to call men together into community. He calls men together into community. Is it just men? No. Women are there too. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But he chooses 12 to become not just disciples, but to become apostles. Now, the, apostle, the word apostle is not a particularly religious word. In fact, when the Romans sent out a, 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 an authority general, they would send them out as apostles to establish Roman culture. Greeks did it too. When you go, we're going to send out apostles to establish the culture of the realm. And so that's what God wants to do with us, his sent ones. Give me a wave if you're a sent one. That'd be you. That'd be you in your chair. That's you. You're a sent one. You're an apostle, little a, a sent one to establish the culture of God's kingdom in the middle of your circumstance and situation. But I just want to dwell on this one scripture as we begin today talking about the grace to follow. We're talking about discipleship. We're talking about becoming his disciples. And I want to just park on this verse because there's a lot of people who say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus. Do you know what that means? Not much, really, because even the devil believes in Jesus, because even demons believe in Jesus, because even people who are not um, walking in authority believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus is just the step in the right direction, but now God's calling us into a followership program, into an apprenticeship program, into a discipleship program, because belief is not what it's about for God. It's about the transformation of behavior. Uh, Adam, give me a wave. Were we able to get that video, that clip, loaded up from Jay Johns, the Reverend Jay Johns? That's okay. We'll come back and play it in a couple of weeks' time. There was a video that I wanted to show. It was a. It was a, a, in the in the um, in in the, in the in the second century. A, 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 one of the. Um, Roman leaders wanted to know what a Christian actually was, what a disciple of Jesus actually was. That's not the slide, guys. We don't need that one up there right now. Um, and he, he actually gives an account. He gives, a, he gives an explanation of what a disciple of Jesus actually is. And I've got a short video. We're going to pick that up in a couple of weeks' time when we get a bit more organized. But let me just take a moment and pull this verse apart. But before we do, there's six stages of what I think discipleship is if we consider it to be like this. So on the screen this morning, six phases or six stages of discipleship. And so what begins as follow me finishes with go and make other followers. Can you see how that revolution works? It starts with follow me, this is Jesus, follow me and I will send you to make followers of me. Now, you can't make followers of Jesus until you start to follow Jesus yourself. And so it begins with bridge building. Bridge building, where you build relationship with people and earn in order to, be, to earn the right to be heard. Now, street witnessing can be powerful, but much more effective is coffee table witnessing. 
coffee table interview, where life is transmitted through natural friendship and natural relationship, you know? So build bridges intentionally with people because life is going to flow through you as God gives you opportunities. I believe with all my heart that it's God's absolute desire to bring this church into an astonishing season of soul winning. And what we've got to do is understand that life will will flow naturally when we start to work through the process of how things begin to transpire. So build bridges with people. Get used to talking to people. Get used to inviting someone over for a coffee. I'm too busy. If you're too busy to follow the command of Jesus, maybe, with all respect, maybe something in your life needs to change and that you need to find time to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It starts with bridge building. It continues through seed sowing. And you know, some people are amazing. I used to work with guys and they were so adapt at turning every conversation into something filthy and seedy. They, they just, they could turn any topic towards something profane, right? But I reckon as agents of hope, as commissioners of life, we are the kind of people who can turn a conversation towards something of purpose, something of meaning, something of value, something of eternity. And I reckon we need to learn a few, a few phrases that would help us turn the conversation towards hope. Turn the conversation towards life. Turn the conversation towards Christ. That's seed sowing. Then there's conversion. And conversion is a process. Ever seen a car that comes here from America? What's wrong with it? You're sitting, you're sitting, in, the, you're sitting in the shotgun position, right? You're in the, and so it's got to go through a conversion. At, at one point, it's a left-hand drive vehicle. At some other point... It's nothing. There's, that steering wheel's not in the car, right? And all of us who've been through that limbo phase of going, well, am I in the kingdom of darkness or what's this new light that's dawning for me? And we know that, that strange feeling of going, I, I knew what that was like, but what is this? And we're getting converted. We're, transformation is happening and conversion happening. So we go from being in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. And in a moment we decide, but there's actually a process. There's a converting process that God's working in our life. And let me tell you, all you soul winners out there. Oh, not me, Pastor. I'm not one of those, you know, out there kind of big noting people, those extroverted people. I don't even like to say boo. To all those soul-winning people out there, we've got to get used to the idea that God's working to bring conversion, to bring change. Don't give up on somebody if they're not where you think they should be right now. Your job might be to get them from negative 10 where they were hostile towards God and His church. Just do a negative 8 where they go, yeah, well, we won't kill them. We won't persecute them. We'll tolerate them. Well done. That's good. When was the last time you took somebody who you think is other to you out for a coffee and just loved on them? In Mackay, my associate pastor, Tim, used to have coffee and used to have meals with the, um, with the, with the uh, head of the Muslim community. And I'd say, what are you doing, Tim? You're getting converted to, you know, and it's like, actually, no, I'm, pastor, I'm just loving people like Jesus loves people. <laughs> <laughs> I needed that. I needed that, right? 
conversion. And then once we've made that decision and said yes to Jesus, right, then there's this phase of growth that John writes about in his letters. And he says, little children, all the little children, all the young men, sometimes, fathers, once in a while, I'm that kind of mature. But we're on a growth process, right? Praise God, we are not where we used to be. We're not where we could be yet. All the perfect people have already left the church. They've gone on to heaven. The rest of us are struggling to be obedient to Jesus the best we can, encouraging each other when we fall down, when we make mistakes. And um, we're going to continue on this journey. So let's get to the scripture that I want to share with you this morning in, in Mark chapter Mark chapter 3. You ready? Here we go. Mark chapter 3, point number 1. Then Jesus appointed 12 that they. I want you to write that phrase down this morning. I want, to, I, want you to, I want you to be troubled by God's word. I want you to stir it into your heart, into your thinking. Jesus didn't choose one. He chose 12. He, it, it, God's heart is always for community. God's heart is always for family. God's heart is always for us. And so that's why I'm passionate about the church, because it's God's big idea, right? In fact, if you look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, you could write that down if you wanted to. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1, it says, The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he rages against all sound judgment. When you isolate yourself, when you put yourself away and you separate yourself, when you, when you close off other people, you actually, you actually inhibit, you actually become a resistor to what God's trying to work because the value is in the cluster. How does wine get produced? I promise you it's not from a grape. Not a single grape. It's a pretty small drink if you've got one squashed grape. About all you've got on the floor is a greasy mark. Right? You've got to be in the cluster for God to be able to do something great because God works through community. Look at all this magnificence that I've created. Come on, you angels, look at this. Hang on a minute, look at that. Do you see that? That's not good. What's not good, God? Everything's so wonderful, this creation of yours. Look at the cosmos, everything. Down to the minutest little things are so perfect. Now see that? See that guy there, Adam? See how he's alone? I don't like that. Let's change that. Let's change that. That's God's heart. He sets the lonely into families. That's that's God's heart. And so can I just encourage you that you've got to become more gregarious. You've got to become more inclined to put yourself into the company of the right kind of people. Because if you don't do that intentionally, let me tell you what will happen. Let me tell you what happened. You will gradually gravitate towards the wrong kind of company. Who knows what I'm talking about? Nobody. Who knows what I'm talking about? You've got to intentionally put yourself in the right kind of company. So when Jesus is calling his disciples, the first thing is he called them together, right? Because we're in this together. You don't need to walk alone. You need me and I desperately need you. When we understand that, we break some of the enemy's power off our life and off our potential and off our future. Because you recognize we are not called to walk alone, but to walk together. Because I need you to help me and you desperately need me to help you. And that's humility where we recognize I need other people and they need me. 
And that becomes a bigness of heart that says, I'm available to serve. And some of us isolate ourselves because we're ashamed of who we are and where we are right now. Instead of realizing if we just would come out of the darkness where our dark deeds are and into the light of God's glorious purpose, some of that stuff would just break off our life. Can I get a witness from somebody here today say, Preacher, you're talking the truth. Who's found out that it's easier to live for God in the company of righteous men? Come on, that's the truth. And the enemy doesn't want us to be there. He always wants to drag us back into isolation, into loneliness, right? Where, where mental torture begins to happen. And then bad habits begin to break out in our life. You watched enough David Attenborough documentaries, know what happens to the wildebeest and the zebra? You know what happens, right? You take a coal out of the fire and what takes place to that coal? It can be a log flaming, but you take it out. And in the cold of night, in a moment, just in moments, that thing, the fire's gone, the heat's gone. Where once you were passionate for God, that's how much we need each other. John chapter 13 says this, a new commandment I'm giving to you. Who's ready for a new commandment? Take on the posture of a disciple. Get into the catcher's position this way. A new commandment I'm giving to you that you love one another. If we take Master Jesus seriously, we're going to take his words seriously. We're going to start becoming disciples of Jesus, not disciples of our own con um, concept of who Jesus is. I don't think I'm going to finish this message today. I just thought I should put that out there because already we're way behind time where I thought we'd be. But I'm going slow. Is it okay? Are you with me still? You know when Peter is in that outer court, right? And the charcoal fire is there and the little slave girl comes and says, hey, aren't, aren't, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And she comes back a bit later and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. you even sound like those guys from Galilee. You, you must be from that region. You must know him. You must be with that guy, Jesus. No, no, no. I blankety blank never knew him. Right? And we've... We know that that's Peter's denial, right? But as some commentators have said, it's more than his denial. It's actually his first, that's his, that's his confession, his second confession. He's been a disciple of his expectation of Jesus. Come on, Jesus, you're the king, right? You're going to throw these Romans out, right? There's no death in Calvary. There's no, there's no crucifixion here. You're the conquering Messiah, right? These Romans are going to get chucked in the sea, right? And we're going to be there, right? Peter has been a disciple of his expectation of Jesus instead of actually being a disciple of the rabbi himself. And so you put yourself into this position of loving each other and you're in community and you're in brotherhood and you're there for each other when things are good and when things are difficult. And so when someone says, we've been kicked out of our house, I've got to say, no, I just need one family to look after this family. Don't need 10 of you. Just need one. That's good preaching, Pastor. I'm glad I came today. If there is ever to be a they, it's going to require three things. Number one is honor. That you honor the grace of God on the other person's life. That you honor them as a vessel of God, as a creation of God as a person of worth and value, you've got to decide in your heart you're going to place honor on that other person. Secondly, you've got to have love in your heart. The commitment, the relentless commitment to seek the highest good for the other person, that's love. And third, you've got to have a common vision to be going in the same direction 
as where that church is going, where they are going, the one they are following so that you can be part of that company of amazing people. So that's point number one, and I've got 16 of these. It's not true, I'm joking. I've got four more. Let's go quickly. Number four, that they might be with him. Here it is. This is point number two, that they might be with him. Point number two, be with Jesus. You know, being with Jesus sounds nice for, you know, people who get their kids off to school and they can go back and put their feet up on the lounge and, you know, watch a bit of Christian telly and open their Bible and have their journal. That's, that's fine for those people, David, but you've got no idea the pressure that I'm under. You don't know what my life's like. You don't know how busy I am. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think I do. So let's go to the next scripture. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 is what Jesus was talking to when he said, um, are you tired, worn out, burnt out? Sound like anyone you know? Sound like someone you read about? Yeah. Pressures of life just too much? Um, get away with me, says Jesus. Spend time with me. Watch, watch what happens here. He says, I'll show you how to really rest. Don't you love that? You really rest? I love the sound of that. That sounds great. He says, walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this line. I just love it. I just love it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. When you're in your grace zone, when you're in your grace zone, it's, there's no effort in that. It's actually energizing. It's actually energizing. For some of you to come up here and sing behind this microphone would freak you out. But make a coffee. Brilliant. Yeah. Shake hands at the door. No problems, Pastor. I can do that. Right? If we're in our grace zone, there's energy, there's release, and there's joy. But look at the three-part process. The walking the working and the watching. That's the discipleship method right there. All these things go together to be with Jesus. You need time in his word. You need time in prayer. And you need time in service to work with Jesus if you're going to learn the grace of following Christ. Number three, Jesus wants to send you out of your comfort zone. Someone say, yippee. Oh, goody. I'm so, so glad, says Shirley. I'm so glad. I just love it when I'm uncomfortable, right? Jesus wants to send you out to speak, to preach. I'll tell you what, the enemy of our souls wants the church to sit down and shut up. But I'm telling you that it's the heart of God for you to stand up and speak out life. We've got to get known for what we're for more than we're known for what we're against. We're for marriage, God's way. We're for families. We're for success. We're for health and life and victory and friends and food and fun and good coffee. You know the word gospel actually begins with that terrifying word, go. Go. Yeah, go. Actually, God, his name starts with go as well. Could be something, just, just a random thought. Could be something that God's always wanting to get us out of our comfort zone where we're blocked. Why? Because fear is not part of God's kingdom. Yeah? You've got a voice. I'm not going to get political. You've got a voice. It's time for you to stand up and in an appropriate manner, speak out. But can I tell you the loudest thing you'll ever say is your actions. 
Your actions speak louder than words. So write it down. Uh, walk the walk before you start talking the talk. Is that okay? You're hearing it straight here today. That's the heart of Jesus. Just let my life come into you and then flow out of you. And all you've got to do is be prepared to get uncomfortable and speak what he says. Just let his truth of who he is empower you to speak. You say, I'm not sure I could do that, David. I'm not sure I could do that. I want you to, um, I want you to know that there will be a cost um, to being a disciple of Jesus. But Paul said it like this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you start losing your shame, when shame gets broken off your life and you begin to say, that's who I was and this is who I'm becoming, that's what you call a testimony. You've had a test and you can share the truth of it, the victory of it. Write your own story in a hundred words of how God has changed your life. Number four, he's going to ask you to preach. He's going to ask you to preach. He's going to get you to go beyond your comfort zone and to preach. There's a scripture in Acts chapter 2 uh, I want you to look at with me. Acts chapter 2. It says this. I want you to notice the scripture. It would be too easy just to drift past it without just pausing on it for a moment. And, and this is the day of Pentecost, right? This is the day when the Holy Spirit gets poured out. This is the day of cloven tongues of fire on the, on, on the, on the disciples' head. This is where the day of the initial harvest of, of thousands of souls. This is the birth of, of the church in, in a sense, in, in a real legitimate way, right? But Peter, but Peter on his own, Stood up. Hang on a minute. I mean, I've read this passage before. Who was that preacher? Who was that preacher on the day of Pentecost? Oh, it was the Apostle Peter. And 11 other men stood there. There's power. There's power in what a community says. When mum and dad say no. It's no. You ask mum and she says, <laughs> and dad says, and mum says, go and ask the grandparents, right? Because when there's a unified front, when there's a community raising its voice, when men don't stand alone, yeah, it's good, isn't it? That's better than me. That's God. That's Holy Spirit right there. That's Holy Spirit. Someone's going to catch this today. I've been trying to do this on my own. It's so hard to paddle an outrigger canoe on your own. I said it's very hard to paddle an outrigger canoe on your own. And the, and the task that's before us is going to take a team. It takes a village to raise a child. And if that's true about children, what is, what, how, how hard is it to raise a man? Raise a woman to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So Peter, standing up with the eleven. I tell you, when you know someone's got your back, when you know someone's got your back, pastor, walk into hell and I'll be there with a water pistol beside you. Those kind of men, those kind of people, they can transform Philippian jails. 
They can bring about earthquakes and shaking can happen. Things can get broken off people's lives when men don't try to do it on their own. When Jonathan says there's some bad guys out there that want to take away our freedom and his armor bearer says, whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. Whatever's in your heart, I'm with you. Remember, just a month and a half ago, they killed Jesus on a cross. And the disciples scattered away like scared rabbits. But on the day of Pentecost, when Holy Spirit had come upon them, the 11 of them, 11, 11. Now, wasn't there, wasn't there one guy who missed the boat? Wasn't there one guy who had a bad fall? So who's this, who's this, who's in the 11th jersey? Well, he's a guy called Matthias. And I wonder if he felt like an imposter that day. Well, the, the, the 10 and, and Peter are there, but then I'll just stand out here at the back because I don't belong up there with those. Those guys, they, they've been walking with Jesus. They, they know that. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, if you're new to the game, you still get a jersey. You still get to play. You might have been saved one week, but you still get on the platform and you've got something to share. Not necessarily this platform, but the platform God's built for you to stand on and to speak. Who's with me today? Who's catching this today? Two young men at the back. I like that. If I'm preaching to you guys, that'll be enough. Peter raised his voice because God's put an authority on you to say something to somebody. You might not know where or how, but you're going to find your voice. Destiny, I'm telling you, you're going to find your voice and you're going to begin to proclaim like you've never proclaimed before. Because the church needs to rise up and shine and declare the favor and the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now let's get to the difficult part. You ready? Number five. And with this we conclude. Number five. Now, I know not all of you that are here or all of you that watch this broadcast or listen to this, uh, this, um, this, this radio program uh, are from a Pentecostal tradition. So as you read this passage of Scripture, it kind of goes, yeah, just move on from that one. Just, just get past that. But I just want to pause for a moment and have a look at what the Scripture says. It says that Jesus wants us to have power to go beyond our comfort zone, to speak to every circumstance and to have spiritual authority. God wants you to have spiritual authority. The authority is not in your name, it's in His name. The weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God and they pull down strongholds. In this world, there are spiritual forces that are arrayed against us. I don't believe I'm ever under attack. I believe I'm on the attack and I do encounter resistance from time to time and it's of a spiritual nature. You say, oh, I don't believe in evil spirits. I don't believe in a devil. Well, Jesus did. And when I see stuff that happens in my world, I've got no other explanation for it but to realize there's actually a force for evil in the world and there is a force for good. And I choose to be on that side. I want to have the power of God released in and through my life so that I am empowered both with the armor of God to protect me, but the weapons of my warfare. Do I know what they are and do I use them? On D-Day, when the, when the um, Allied forces stormed the beaches at Normandy, they did an assessment and they found that 90% of the men died without firing a single shot.
How many Christians are living their life without firing a single shot into the darkness and into the enemy's camp? You say, David, I, I've, never, I've, never, um, I've never dealt with any of these kinds of things. I, I don't know how to heal the sick. I wouldn't know what to do if someone you know, was troubled by an evil spirit. I don't know how to handle that stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm safe in the, in the calm, gentle waters of, of Sunday morning worship. Follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. And if you follow him, he'll clothe you with all the authority that heaven has. Because he's going to send you out into victory. Does the light ever get intimidated by the darkness? Never does. And nor should you. Nor should you. you say, David, I, 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 don't, I don't feel very strong. I don't feel very powerful. Can I get you to write this down? It's from the book of Judges. I think it's in Judges chapter 6 where God comes to a man who's trembling. His name's Gideon. And God says to Gideon, hey, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. And you'll find, somebody help me here, you'll find more strength will be given to you, right? Just go in the strength that you've got. Go in the revelation that you have. Pray in the name of Jesus. Declare the truth of God's word. Invite the Holy Spirit into the circumstance. Put your hand on someone's shoulder and declare healing in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes sickness is actually, is actually exacerbated and worsened by the presence of evil spirits. Back in the 80s, we as a church, not this church per se, but the Christian church in the charismatic and Pentecostal streams, got into real kind of weirdness, looking for devils and demons under every bush. Checked under your chair on Sunday morning to make sure there's no devil under there before we got in to sit down in your seat. It was, it was nonsense. It was absolutely nonsense. This is, my, this is my advice to you. This is my counsel to you as your shepherd, right? Just walk in authority that Jesus has given to you. If something reveals itself, take the authority God's given to you and deal with it. Just deal with it. You are more powerful than you realize. You are not the one who should be trembling around difficulties. It's the enemy. You are carrying the assault weapons of heaven. The name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the Holy Spirit language of prayer, this, the scripture that you can declare and quote, worship and praise, right? The prayer agreement of two or three people, yeah? Your testimony of what God did for you because they overcame him because of the legal entitlement of their redemption, the blood of Jesus Christ and the word of their testimony, right? That's how they overcame. So let your life be both familiar and comfortable with the weapons of war that God wants to give you. Well, how old do you have to be to use this? Can you talk? If you can talk out of the mouths of babes and infants, God has ordained perfect praise. If you lift up praise, I tell you what, praise brought relief to a, to a paralyzed king, to a tormented king. Praise brought relief. You can bring praise into the circumstance and into the situation. Declare the name of Jesus. Take authority over every evil thing as it reveals itself, as it manifests itself in Jesus' name. Is that okay? Is that okay? Our last slide. Our last slide. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. And he went about doing good causing trouble to the devil 
and his kingdom everywhere. And I reckon, I just reckon, that the church of Jesus Christ here in Atherton just needs to step up and take on this same rabbi anointing, this same teaching anointing that says God's going to anoint me with the Holy Spirit and with power. I want that for your life. I want the anointing and the authority of God to flow through your life. I'm not trying to turn Sunday mornings into something spectacular. I want to turn your life into something significant. I want the kingdom of God to be functioning through your home and in your workplace as much and as more as what is happening here on a Sunday. Is that okay? And all of the tenants said. And all the disciples of Jesus said. I'm scared, Pastor. I'm nervous, Pastor. I've never done this before. Hear again the words of Jesus. Follow me and I will. I will make it. I will make you. I will transform. I won't give up on you. You might feel a little flimsy right now, but he's not going to give up what he began in you. He'll finish it and he'll complete it. And I hope you'll come with us on this next few weeks journey about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. So next week, I'm really looking forward to my brother Lucas sharing God's word. And after that, um, Yannicka is going to be sharing about their journey as a family uh, of being a disciple of Jesus. And the grace to follow is uh, Lucas' topic. The grace to serve is Yannicka's topic. And then I'm going to finish this series at the end of the month by God's grace, the grace to lead. That God wants to work so deeply in our lives that we actually take this commandment really seriously and his commission to go out into all the world really seriously as a church anointed by God to bring about good tidings of great things in our generation. Can I get a witness here today? Amen. Can I get someone to just head out to our kids church? Uh, Corey would you do that for me please? Just let um, Sandy and the team know we're about to head into our baptismal party and I just want to involve all of our children so that we're all on board this. Well let's pray as we seal this word together in our heart. Father Now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that there's healing and deliverance for us today, just like there was back there in the book of Acts. In Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, in the early church, throughout church history, you've seen you work in salvation and in healing and deliverance and power. And I thank you that right here, right now, in this moment of our lives, of our journey, of our nation, of our planet, we desperately need the kingdom of God, not just to be a matter of talk, but a demonstration of power and authority and grace. So, Father, let it come upon us more and more in Jesus' name. And all the church said, Amen, Amen, Amen.